0: Welcome to Season 2 of Voices from the Land, a special podcast series produced by the Legacy Hope Foundation. In this podcast series, we'll hear about Indigenous language revitalization projects and efforts to preserve and promote Indigenous languages across Turtle Island. Join us as we learn more about how Indigenous languages are helping Indigenous peoples connect, know, and remember the Voices from the Land. Hello and welcome. Voices from the Land is an Indigenous language podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Its goal is to capture more perspective and voices on indigenous language revitalization. We are seeking to capture a range of perspective to better reflect the many people engaged in indigenous language (laughs) revitalization. Our aim is that by listening to teachers, adult learners, and parents or guardians of children in language classes or whose children have taken language classes, we can gain more insight into what are the challenges and barriers, as well as the solutions and positives that are out there. In turn, we hope this will form the larger discussion on how to support Indigenous language revitalization. Our first guest today is Sharon Shadow. Sharon is a citizen of the Champaign and Aishak First Nation in the Yukon Territory. She is a gunda and a member of the Wolf Clan. She has been involved in the field of education for many years and decades. She is currently the Yukon First Nations Languages Coordinator at the Department of Education in the Yukon government. She is a champion of Yukon First Nations language revitalization and on her southern touchstone language learning journey. Hello and welcome, uh, Sharon. How are you today?
1: Mm-hmm nathan which is I'm
0: good. All right. Maybe we can start by uh, talking a little bit about yourself, your background, like your Indigenous affiliation, and uh, talk a little bit about your family and community. Yeah,
1: I'm, yeah, I'm Champanasiak Champagne. in Yukon, and right now I'm at the Department of Education as the First Nations Language Coordinator. So I provide assistance, classroom support to language teachers throughout Yukon. Pretty much all of our schools in Yukon have a language class, a First Nation language class, and we have teachers. So a lot of um, my time is spent just trying to provide curriculum support to them and to look at their PD training. However, with COVID, I haven't been able to travel to any of the schools, but hopefully before the end of this school year, I'll be able to do that. My First Nation community is quite active in language revitalization. Right now we are currently in the fourth year of a adult language immersion class, and that was a decision made by our citizens to begin such a class for our language uh, in in Yukon here. My language is Southern Tishoni, which is part of the Athabascan language family, and we have uh, like most communities in. Canada, we have very few speakers that are fluent, and we're trying to have a solution to that by having adult language classes in our community. They're held right in Haynes Junction. Last year was the first cohort that went through, and we had nine students that graduated. And this year, we have another nine students, I believe, that have begun the classes, There's a lot of work that needs to be done in this program. We have only one instructor. And again, that seems to be, you know, something that is quite common throughout the world, I guess, is we don't have enough qualified instructors to to lead a class like this. We do need fluent speaker support. So we have two elders that provide assistance to the class and are there just to, you know, as language speakers because our instructor although he's you know pretty fluent he still doesn't have all of the old old language when it comes to our culture cultural knowledge so again you know that's something that our first nation totally funds from our own resources there and I think that for my community that's something that we're trying to do to help with language revitalization and I did send an email to champagne ajac um, to, the, to um, get in touch with you and have a conversation with you. So I'm hoping they'll follow up on that because I think there's a lot to learn from that. We're the only First Nation in Yukon that has such a, an, an adult immersion class like this.
0: You talked a bit about immersion. Uh, can you expand a little bit more about the immersion program and how it works? Is it effective? Tell me how successful it is, maybe some barriers you're facing.
1: Right now, I'm not involved a lot in the program. I do sit on the working group, so we do provide some oversight to it. Um, I don't go to the classes at all, so I think the best person would be um, our instructor. His name is Keshaw Reed, and he's at Jacques. We also have an education director that this falls under her portfolio. But for me, again, um, it is a little deceiving to say immersion because these are new students that have no language ability at all that are coming into the program. So for them to come out of this totally immersed in the language, I think is is a huge, huge goal. And I don't know if that's achievable. They will have some level of fluency there's different levels of fluency but what they're at i, I can't say for, for certain We are hoping that you know, at least they will come out of the class with some conversational abilities when they you know see an elder or speaker in the community and again you know has provided after support as well so you know, some of the graduates are holding jobs in language, and they've made these jobs specifically for the students. So I think that's a, that's a huge plus for, for the First Nation. Some of the students are working in the daycare, and some of the students are working you know, just in language in general, developing resources. And so again, you know, the best would be to talk to the, the program people themselves so being an outsider looking in I can't really say that they're fully immersed in the language.
0: Okay you also uh, told us that uh, in your biography that you're still in the process of learning your language and that you consider yourself a a silent speaker. From that perspective uh, you are an adult learner of an indigenous language and I guess this is an ongoing process for you. What are some of the barriers that you have seen or experienced while trying to learn your indigenous language?
1: Time. Trying to set aside quality and sustain time. And also to to work with someone or to find a speaker that can devote, you know, hours and hours to to working with me. And again, you know, how is that funded? So although in the past there has been some attempts at making uh, at having a master apprentice approach we did take advantage of that um, another friend and myself are in the same situation so we are always looking for opportunities to learn language and so when this was offered we did take it and we did you know notice some improvement in our language speaking abilities however after the program's finished, you know, it's hard to continue on your own and find the time to use your language in an everyday setting. And again, you know, that's something that I think we need to really be interested in trying to find out how other First Nations are sustaining their language learners, their adult language learners, after they go through a program, of some, any kind of a program. And for me, being a silent speaker is something that I need to face. and I you know, I know that in British Columbia on the First People's uh, Cultural Council, they do have a silent speaker program which is proving to have some success. And I did ask our first nation to look into this and see if we can have something similar here because you know with the state of our languages right now, I don't even know if we have a handful of fluent speakers in our community. So, you know, once they reach their 80s and 90s, you know, we're in who does the language fall to? That generation will be my generation. And if um, I'm not a speaker or I don't, you know, I'm not able to to overcome whatever barriers I have in speaking the language, then, you know, what will the state of our language be in the future? Because although we have young adult learners that are learning the language, do they come with the cultural knowledge as well? Do they come with our teachings and our stories that they need to build a foundation for language learning? So, you know, those are some things I think about.
0: Uh, I'm curious to understand from your point of view, how did you begin to lose your language? You say a lot of people in your community don't speak the language. How did this happen? And, uh, uh maybe that's the first part of my question. And I know mm-hmm. you, you talked about, uh, uh, your community making efforts to revitalize your language. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Uh,
1: for me, I was raised by my grandmother and I was told that, um, you know, she was a fluent speaker, and I was told that I was I did speak the language when I was about six years old. And then of course, we all went to school. I, I'm one of the odd ones, I guess, because I didn't go to residential school, although everyone in my community that are that were my age, they all were taken to residential school except for me. And I was able to go to day school or to regular school in my community of Haines Junction. So I don't know, like, the treatment that I got there from the non-First Nation teachers. I don't know, I can't remember what they said to me or how, you know, how I was uh, treated because I was First Nations and I was one of the very few students that were in school that was First Nations. So I went to school from grade one to grade nine in my community. And it wasn't until I was in grade six that the other my other uh, cousins and relatives were allowed to stay. That's when residential school, I guess closed down in some of the communities that where they attended. And so that again, you know changed the whole focus of our education and our schooling at that time. I can remember quite vividly that uh, you know there was a lot of prejudice for sure in our education system so you know what messages were given to me when I was a child um, that's something that I need to explore or I don't even know how to begin to explore that but I'm sure there's ways to do that to get to the crux of the matter and this is what I you know really interested in with uh, silent speaker research and I do um, constantly looking for any kind of research in this area and there's very few there's i haven't come across any studies yet that speak specifically to silent speakers in the world and so again you know there's something that has happened to us to me there's something that was said to me that made me stop speaking and so that's what uh, i need to you know look into more what happened there, and to accept that and to move on from that.
0: Yeah, right. I can understand what you're saying because when we went to residential school, I went to residential school uh, in in Manitoba, and uh, and uh, many of the students that I went to residential school with lost their language uh, and uh, never spoke their language for the longest time, even when they went back home to the reserve. In the summer, they all spoke English, and uh, it's like they couldn't speak their language. And then, mm-hmm. and then only their their parents, but they could understand it. You know, mm-hmm. they could understand yeah. their parents talking to them, and they would respond. But mm-hmm. they couldn't speak it.
1: Yeah, it's not yeah.
0: until later on in life that they've uh, they started to speak their language uh, after mm-hmm. they they left uh, residential school and they start to integrate in the community. But it didn't happen overnight. It took, it's still to this day, like a lot of them won't speak it, you know. I find that uh, uh, very interesting and maybe something similar to what uh, what you're in.
1: Yeah. When a fluent speaker speaks, I can totally understand them. I know exactly what they're saying, although I'm losing some words, but... uh, so that, for me, that's such a interesting phenomenon, like, why is that happening? You know, I really enjoy listening to speakers, and I know what they're saying. And so, again, you know, if I could overcome this somehow, you know, I, I know that the language will come flooding back, and and it it just seems like such a small thing to do, but at the same time, it's huge. It's a huge barrier, and... Again, I'm always looking for methods, ways, methodology, whatever it is out there in the world. Someone must be studying this and someone, you know, I can't be the only one in the world that's, you know, facing this. So again, you know, it's before it's too late, you know, I really would like to, to be able to contribute to my community.
0: From your perspective. What has worked well or has been a positive learning method or approach in your language learning experience?
1: Again, you know, the master apprentice program does work, but again, it needs to be sustained longer than, you know, six weeks or whatever, two months. Uh, We did take this as part of a, a university program, but as soon as the university course is finished, then of course our language learning stops. And the number one reason it stops is because um, as citizen, you know, I I don't have extra funds to pay, continue paying my speaker to work with me. So again, you know, that's something funding is always a a huge barrier. And, you know, I can't ask uh, our speakers to continue to work with me and my colleagues and my friends just for nothing. Although I'm pretty sure they'll do it, but you know, it's not right for them to do that. And again, you know, for our master-apprentice courses, we had to spend at least 10 hours in the language per week. And again, you know, I don't know who has that kind of time to to devote to just language learning uh, in addition to, you know, the elders' regular life. And sometimes living in Whitehorse, I don't have access to speakers, my speakers. They all live in the community of Haynes Junction. So again, there's that distance there.
0: Can you describe what the Master Apprentice approaches like in a little more detail? Mm
1: -hmm. It's a program that's set up. Most universities do have something like this in their language programs. So I, as a student, as an apprentice, would find a speaker, a fluent speaker to work with. And we would spend, you know, a couple hours a day or every couple of days and just, you know, decide on what I would like to learn or what I could learn over a set amount of time. And then the speaker would uh, teach me those words or phrases or a story within that time frame there. And at the end of the, like, your You're supposed to be achieving something like 250 new words per week or, you know, something similar like that. And so at the end of a number of weeks, then we get evaluated by the university on how well we've done with our goals that we set out. So again, it it does work because we do, you know, you do have language learning. It's up to you as a, a learner to devote the time to to learn the language. And it's not only the language, but you're getting everything. You're getting the grammar, you're getting the structure, you're getting the sounds, pronunciation. And for Southern Doshone, it's really, really important that we pronounce our words correctly. And our speakers, the ones that I've worked with anyway, are very, very adamant that uh, we need to pronounce our words correctly.
0: In your language learning experience, what would you like to see change or improve?
1: I guess for me, um, for my first nation, I think that we need to have a language strategy, a language plan that includes our you know our whole community, that everybody has input in it, from you know the babies all right up to the adults to the fluent speakers. So we have some kind of a plan moving forward to revitalize our, our and sustain our language for the years to come. And again, because I feel like we're under pressure right now with uh, having very little, very few speakers, this needs, it's almost like uh, something that needs to be done immediately. But... Uh, Again, you know, I don't have any power to, you know, say to staff that this is what we shall be doing in our language programs. We can make recommendations, but, uh, you know, they they are working on whatever they, you know, see necessary to work on. But again, I think as a people, we need to have a language plan for something like that for our community. And we need to put resources to them to um make that plan become a reality.
0: What would you say is the most important thing to keep in mind when learning or trying to learn an indigenous language?
1: Mm. I think the most important thing is that uh, the value that it'll bring to you as an indigenous person, as a done person. You know, Champagne-Ajac, we're always taught, you know, to Strive to be dancho than, which means a good person. So, what does that mean? You know, it entails everything in one's life, and at the center of that life, of course, is our our language, and our ways of knowing and doing, and our stories. So, I don't know if you know it's the only way to achieve that is through our language, but it's certainly one of the most important things we can do to learn about who we are is through our languages and through our stories.
0: I think I have one last question. Are there any other Indigenous language initiatives or projects happening in your community that you can share with us?
1: I just I heard, heard morning about uh, Yukon Native Language Center, which is an organization here that, uh, you know, is looking at language revitalization. They have several projects underway. And they're right now they're concentrating on a youth fluency course, which is really an, an excellent idea. And I, you know, recommend that you maybe contact Yukon Native Language Center and speak to them. But uh, one project that they shared yesterday was that they're doing some translation work for some storybooks. And so, you know, just the development of learning resources is a huge, huge, another huge area. Um, We can have all the learning programs we want, but if there's no resources to, you know, support your learning, then that's hard as well. So the Yukon Native Language Centre, they received some funding to translate some uh, Robert Munch books. And so, you know, that's a a good start. Um, It'll certainly be some resources for the schools and the daycares and families as well. And I think, uh, you know, looking at families and providing support to families is another huge area that needs some work on to try and get our young parents uh, involved in language learning somehow.
0: Thank you, Sharon. Uh, we've been talking to Sharon Shadow. She's a member of the and Aishik First Nation in the Yukon Territory. Uh, Sharon, thank you very much for taking the time to do this with us on behalf of the Legacy Hope Foundation. We thank you and appreciate the time that you've taken with us today.
1: Mm, Yeah, I say Shoni Thun as well to the legacy of hope. And I hope, you know, I really look forward to your findings and what you have to offer our communities in Canada, especially those that are working so hard to revitalize and sustain our languages and And like I mentioned, anything you come across in terms of silent speaker, I certainly would be interested in receiving that information. And I wish you well in your project. Shoni Thun.
0: Voices from the Land is a podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David Finkel. For more episodes
1: like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca.